When you're going through a time of grief, do you feel kind of pressure, either from yourself or maybe from others, to get past those feelings? When you're with someone who's grieving or hurting, do you feel the need to try to say and do things that will hurry them back to a more joyful, happy spot? Because understandably, we prefer joy to sorrow and difficulty. But in this Discover the Word podcast, Dr. Sung Chan Ra is going to join the group to talk about the power and the necessity of lament. 80 to 85% of our hymns, the Baptist and Presbyterian hymnals, are songs of joy, celebration, victory, triumph. And only about 15 to 20% of our hymns are hymns of lament. Now in the Bible, the Psalms, 60% praise and 40% lament. And so I think in Western culture, I would say, um, in particular, we jump from, oh, we're in pain right now, let's quickly get to the celebration, rather than we might need to stay in this just a little bit longer in order to experience the fullness of God. I'm not saying don't get to the joy. I'm saying let's not jump so quickly to it that we forget the discipline of lament along the way. And so be part of the Discover the Word group for some really important conversations about lament and how we as the church respond in times of crisis. And it is great to have you here as we once again get the group together to study the Bible on Discover the Word. Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And in this episode, regular group members, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day have a guest with them for this series of conversations called Lament, the Church in Crisis. And that guest is Dr. Sung Chan Ra, an author and professor of evangelism in Fuller Seminary's School of Mission and Theology. And as we'll hear right away, he has an interesting, albeit indirect, connection with Discover the Word that we'll hear about in just a moment. And I think you're going to find this to be a really helpful, perspective-shaping series of conversations on the subject of lament, as Dr. Ra leads us in a study of some sections of the Old Testament books of Lamentations and Jeremiah. Because I think we'll all profit from this discussion of how we respond both personally and corporately to the brokenness that we all are dealing with on so many levels. So let's meet Dr. Ra and learn about that connection to discover the word. Daniel? So today we get the honor of spending some time with someone that I met digitally through Zoom on our podcast, Where You From? And that's Dr. Sung Chan Ra. And not only that, but he actually knows someone that is dear to all of us on this show, Haddon Robinson, really well. Nice. Um, So Dr. Ra, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Mm. How did you know Dr. Robinson? He was my preaching professor. Awesome. I was very blessed to have him. In fact, my first year in seminary was his first year teaching at Gordon-Conwell. Oh, my goodness. I took every preaching class that I could. <laughs> Smart <laughs> man. Dr. Yep. Robinson. <laughs> Elisa spent a lot of time at Denver Seminary with Haddon mm. and yes. got to know him very well through that, right? Yes. And he mentored me. I had the blessing of being yes. mentored by him when I was doing a radio program to represent the seminary. And of course, you don't want to open your mouth representing Denver Seminary unless you are mentored by Henry Robinson. That's right. That's so, right. Yeah. 
<gasps> yeah. He's one of the greatest communicators of our generation. And, yeah, and, and of course uh, he was here yeah. and Discover the Word for many, 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 many years. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Maybe the greatest honor I had was actually speaking at his last preaching conference with him. Oh. So yeah, that's maybe one of the greatest honors of my life to be with oh, him at his retirement. That's awesome. Dr. Ra, what topic or, or where shall we go in these conversations? Sure. Where are you taking us? Well, I want to focus on uh, the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations. And uh, these are Old Testament books that teach us much about what it means as God's people to respond to crisis and suffering that is in the world. Hmm. So we want to examine how did this come about that there is so much pain and suffering in the world, but also what is the appropriate church's uh, response of the church? So I thought we'll take a look in the very beginning on the book of Lamentations, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, to explore what is the church's appropriate response? How can we as a church respond to the crisis? So I'm wondering if somebody could read those first three verses of the book of Lamentations, chapter 1. They're long verses. Maybe we should just go around. How's that sound? Sure. I'll just start it off. Lamentations 1, 1. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she? who was once great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her among her lovers. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They've become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She lives now among the nations and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. Those are some happy verses, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. That's part of the uh, reason why many of us avoid the Book of Lamentations, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Um, I'm actually wondering, between the four of us here, how many of us ever heard a whole sermon series? Not just one sermon, but a whole sermon series in the Book of Lamentations. Mm, mm. Crickets chirping, crickets chirping. Okay, that's about right. <laughs> I will ask that question in front of like a thousand people. And maybe one or two hands will go up who said they've ever mm. actually heard a sermon series on the Book of Lamentations. Mm. Usually they'll point to one passage, the kind of the one happy verse in the entire book that's in the middle mm. of chapter three. And we don't really engage a book like this because exactly what you're saying, this is not a happy book. Yeah. This is not a book that makes us feel good about the world and, and our role in the world. And that's why I wanted to engage these books of the Bible, Jeremiah and Lamentations, because I think we recognize that the world is not necessarily a happy place right now. I don't know if, uh, what many of you are facing, but what are some of the places where we just see a lot of suffering and pain in our world right now? Mm. I can speak to that very personally right now because we had an emergency situation very recently with my seven-year-old nephew who was mm. having headaches and ended up being airlifted to a hospital for emergency brain surgery mm. because they found a tumor. Mm. And that was as stressful as it can get, our little buddy. So the world is broken, and I felt that very mm -hmm. much uh, during those days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big one, Daniel. And and I've been thinking about, you know, COVID itself was enormous. Yes. I mean, it's called a pandemic, you know. But mm -hmm. the other thing is the mental health crisis that's unraveling as we look at our life beyond the crisis and sort of returning to a normal. We're different people. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, if I'm hearing you right, Dr. Rye, I think that 
probably lament and, and sorrow and brokenness and all the stuff that makes lamentations hard probably exists on a couple of levels. And, mm-hmm. and Daniel and Elisa have kind of hit them both because Daniel's talking more personally That's right. uh, about an issue of brokenness for lament. And then obviously Elisa's spoken more globally. And I yes. think both of us kind of experience that brokenness on both of those levels. And uh, sometimes it doesn't come one at a time. It comes at waves. Yes. Yeah. And certainly this past year, we've seen waves and waves of crisis and conflict and, and challenges. I know for me personally, the last 50 months have been extraordinarily difficult. The first of which was back in March of last year, two of my students died. Mm. Uh, and that was devastating. Mm. And these were two of my students that I was teaching at Stateville Correctional Center, which is a maximum security prison outside of uh, Chicago. And they were doing good work in the classroom. And then, as many of you know, uh, COVID hit in prisons and in senior citizens' home Mm. the hardest. Mm. And so my two students were among the first to die. Mm. And so just dealing with that grief and not knowing how to respond appropriately, for many of us who were experiencing grief during this time, I think we couldn't do it as a community because we were separated and we couldn't meet with one another in the church. So that sparked for me, how does the church respond to suffering and pain in the world? Mm-hmm. And that's why the Book of Lamentations is such an important and helpful biblical passage and biblical framework to offer to us. Lament, very simply defined, is the appropriate ecclesial, theological, liturgical, spiritual response to the reality of pain and suffering and crisis that is in the world. Hmm. And clearly that second part we've seen, we've talked about already, there's been a lot of pain and suffering and crisis that is in the world on both the individual, personal, as well as in the corporate uh, structural level. And then how do we as a church respond to that? I don't know. How do you think we've been doing as a church? Have (laughs) Have we been doing well or have we been doing what maybe Lamentations 1 points towards, which is a communal reflection on this pain and crying out to God? Or how have we been doing in responding to a lot of this tragedy in our world right now? I think the church probably does better helping individuals go through their times of individual yes. seasons of brokenness. I think we do pretty well at rallying around one another uh, yes. in those times of pain, like Daniel described with his nephew or like back when my mom died. Mm. So I think the church does much better with that than we do the more yes. global side of things. Yeah. I've heard lament described as well as drawing attention to what's wrong in the world and asking God to do Mm -hmm. something about it. And I think, Bill, you're right. I think we tend to do that pretty well in those individual situations. But I think maybe where we kind of lose our effectiveness sometimes as a church is we have short memories sometimes in those situations. And so we lament ends quickly. So I think about like, I remember talking to someone who has a ministry focused on helping those who are affected by Hurricane Katrina build their homes. Mm. And I met him Mm. just recently. And I was like, well, I thought that was done like many years ago, (laughs) right? But when a hurricane comes through, it has long lasting effects long after we talk about the effects or like the situation with my nephew. I mean, there's psychological and emotional trauma now that's been experienced by all those closest and some that aren't close who have heard the story and that brought back their own traumas from their lives. That is so good, Daniel. Yeah. 
I'm just really relating to that. I've heard about a burn scar, which follows a forest fire or a grass fire. And it's this swath, this scratch of earth that's left damage. And new growth Mm -hmm. can come, but it takes years to heal. Thank you for that example of the hurricane. That that really makes sense, Daniel. Yeah. 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 And what we see in the passage that we read today in Lamentation, which is our introduction, it sets the stage that there is a lot of pain and suffering Obviously, during this time, and we'll talk you know, more about the context of this, but the people of God have experienced this intense and incredible sense of devastation. They were once a great nation. As we know, the history of Israel under David and Solomon, they were this powerhouse of a nation. And yet, because of their disobedience and their idolatry, God brings punishment upon them. So the northern kingdom of Israel is wiped out. The southern kingdom of Judah is wiped out. And all that's left is the city of Jerusalem. And then what we see in Lamentations is right after the fall of Jerusalem. So think about this gradual wearing away of their identity as God's chosen people. The gradual wearing away of the sense of God loves us and cares for us. And then they see the devastation happening one after another. And of course, the ultimate one being the loss of their capital city of Jerusalem, which is explained in detail here in verse 1. And then the exile, which is the ultimate punishment for God's people to be sent away out of their homeland and out of their promised land. And the question again is not will crises and challenges and pain and suffering occur. The question is more how will the church respond? And I think what Lamentations gives to us is exactly what many of you are saying. This is not a one and out deal. Hmm. This is going to have to be a sustained response to God and a sustained response to the pain and suffering that is in the world. And I think we look for quick and easy responses when sometimes the Bible gives to us This is a lasting pain, and therefore the church is going to have to have an enduring response. Yeah, lament is not a quick fix or an easy response. As we're going to see, it is a sustained and enduring response. Just getting started on this conversation about lament with our guest, Dr. Sung Chan Ra. Just a quick word before we continue. As we began, Daniel mentioned another podcast from Our Daily Bread Ministries called Where Are You From?, on which Dr. Ra told more of his story. And I think you'll enjoy that podcast he did with Rasul Berry, who was also part of our Discover the Word team. It's episode number eight in the current season of Where Are You From? that just dropped a few weeks ago. And you can find it at whereareyoufrom.org. That's where you, Y-A, where you from. Org, or search for it wherever you normally get your podcasts. Okay, now let's continue. Bill has a question for Dr. Ra to begin this next segment. Okay, Dr. Ra, I have a question. I'm in your class, and uh, <laughs> okay. I just heard your lecture on Lamentations 1 and how yes. the church is to respond with an ongoing sense of lament to the ongoing brokenness of the world. Is that fair? That's good to say, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, then my question is, as people of Christ in whom the fruit of the Spirit is joy, ah. how does joy balance in with ongoing constant lament? And that's a question a lot of folks will ask. I'm thankful that you asked that question. You know, I try to define joy a little more specifically. I usually compare joy to happiness, and I learned this pretty early on in my life that happiness is not joy and joy is not happiness. Right. Uh, Happiness kind of depends on our circumstances, Mm -hmm. right? So it depends on, are we feeling good? Are good things happening to us? That's happiness. Joy is 
Despite the circumstances, there is a deep sense of contentment. There is a deep sense of trust, hope. That's different. The circumstances do not dictate my joy. Circumstances can dictate my happiness. And so what I see in lament is that the circumstances, even if they're difficult and challenging, I still have a trust in God. I still have hope in God that comes even when I'm in the midst of suffering, I still can have joy. And sadly, I think many of us have substituted joy with this sense of happiness. And we've kind of created a cheaper sense of joy rather than the true joy that Christ offers. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now, isn't there a time when we lay aside the sackcloth and ashes of lament and kind of just express the joy of the Lord as our strength and stuff like that? Yeah, I would say that we tend to jump to that space faster than maybe even the scripture calls us to. Example of this is that 80 to 85% of our hymns, the Baptist and Presbyterian hymnals, are songs of joy, celebration, victory, triumph. And only about 15 to 20% of our hymns are hymns of lament. Now, in the Bible, the Psalms, 60% praise and 40% lament. So what we've done is we've overemphasized one aspect of worship and de-emphasized the other aspect of worship. That makes sense. In other words, we jump too quickly from lament to praise without staying in lament a little longer. In fact, this is one of my pet peeves. When I go to a Good Friday service, and at the end of the Good Friday service, we insist on having a happy hymn, that's not the point of Good Friday. Wait just two days, and then on Sunday, (laughs) you celebrate and you jump up and down and you experience that joy. But Good Friday is a lament. And in fact, that space between Friday and and Sunday, that Holy Saturday is also that space of waiting and lament. And so I think in Western culture, I would say, um, in particular, we jump from, oh, we're in pain right now, let's quickly get to the celebration, rather than we might need to stay in this just a little bit longer Mm -hmm. in order to experience the fullness of God. And when we get to that joyful celebration, that will actually be wonderful because we were in the pain a little bit longer. So I'm not saying don't get to the joy. I'm saying let's not jump so quickly to it that we forget the discipline of lament along the way. Yeah, I think that's really good, especially as I think about grief and how we tend to talk about grief in Christianity in the West, where we try to, you know, like often, hey, I want to make them laugh or, hey, I want to like bring lightness to this grief. Yes. And there's not the process of grief. It isn't allowed to go all the way through like I lost someone that I care about or I lost a dream or I lost a job or whatever it is that we're grieving. And by moving too quickly to, well, yeah, but everything will be okay. We almost never really heal from that brokenness or that grief that we experienced. And that's the ongoing discipline of lament. In fact, I want to talk about this a little today in looking at Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 9. And Jeremiah gives us the context of why Lamentations, the book, is necessary. So maybe uh, one person can read two verses each, and we'll go around and read Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 9. Okay, I can start us. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is actually from a letter, right, that Jeremiah is sending from Jerusalem to the surviving leaders, right? Yes. So um, as we talked about last time, the people of God have been sent away into exile, Mm -hmm. into Babylon. Mm -hmm. We know the historical context. Jeremiah is allowed to stay in Jerusalem along with several of the remnant. And this letter from Yahweh goes to the exiles in Babylon. I mean, what do you think of when you think of Babylon? What's kind of the first few words that come into mind of saying, you hear the word Babylon, and what's your first response to that word? I was just thinking like the term itself, Babylon, has a whole negative context that it brings with us. So Exactly. Yeah, the opposite of what God wants equals, Mm -hmm. we tend to think Babylon. Yeah, I had one word, it was kind of yuck. But that's not fair to the people, (laughs) but the conditions, yes. Well, that's the symbolism of Babylon oftentimes in the Bible. I usually describe it as... Wall Street, Hollywood, Washington, D.C., and Las Vegas all rolled into one. It's all the things that we think of as like, oh, this is terrible. These are the terrible things of our cities all rolled into one. And so what we're seeing with Babylon, it has been portrayed throughout Scripture as this horrible place, evil place. And yet, as we've read today, what does God say? You are to go into Babylon of all places and be my people there, Hmm. and you will seek the flourishing and the shalom of Babylon. Now, when you read throughout the scripture, seek the peace of a city, Hmm. it is almost always Jerusalem. And that makes sense. Jerusalem is all that is good in the world. It's the capital of the promised land. And yet, this is one of the very rare occurrences where not Jerusalem is not only not mentioned, the opposite of Jerusalem is considered to be where you are to seek the peace. Hmm. To me, I see this as a call to God's people to never give up no matter how difficult the circumstances are. I can think of a lot of places right now where we could identify we are in the midst of Babylon. What are some examples that we could think of? of this is what Babylon feels like. This is what Babylon is like. And how would we respond when a letter like that comes to us and say, even in Babylon, you're still my people? What's mm-hmm. kind of the connection there for us? Well, I think about the reality of so many people not giving God his due and actually denying mm. the presence, mm. the reality of a God and, mm. and spending their lives trying to be vigilant about that. It's a very s- difficult time, mm. you know, and, and to mm. hang in there as God's people, continuing to represent faithfulness in a context that rejects God. Yeah, it's easy to give up. It's easy to mm-hmm. give up when circumstances are very difficult. Yeah. I think, too, of the Babylon in me, the places mm-hmm. where I lose sight of the goodness of God or his faithfulness or the places in me where I realize that I've been pursuing something that is uh, not only not of God, but is not helpful in the world. Yes. And I would say that the pandemic that we're just starting to emerge out of is kind of a Babylon experience for many of us. Because, for example, we couldn't do church the way we were used to doing church. And so many of us might have shut down and stopped attending any form of church or any form of kind of Christian community. And churches were struggling to try to figure out a way to be the church in the midst of a pandemic. And I think I really want to uphold the pastors and the members of the church who kept being the church in the midst of the pandemic. That makes a lot of sense, Dr. Rob, because, I mean, one of the realities of the people of Judah is they're 
in Babylon is that they're cut off from the temple yes. mm -hmm. and yes. they're cut off from everything that represents how they would go about worshiping God. And during the pandemic, especially during lockdowns and things like that, obviously we were cut off from the physicality of the church as well as one another as parts of the church. So mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. And how can we respond biblically to that rather than culturally, which is, hey, you know, this is too tough for us. But actually to say, you know what, we're going to seek the peace of God and mm -hmm. the shalom of God, mm -hmm. despite the circumstances that even though it is extraordinarily challenging, uh, we could try to tear down, you know, all these rules or whatever. But at the end of the day, this was a crisis situation mm -hmm. and uh, we need to respond with an appropriate response, in this case, lament. So I'm very thankful for the pastors and Christian leaders who sustained through these very difficult times. And I would say going forward, what does it mean with multiple crises? Pandemic may pass and COVID may have had its day, but something else will come along that would provide a different set of challenges. The issue is, how will the church respond to that? Will we run away and hide? Or as this passage teaches us in Jeremiah 29, seek the peace, seek the shalom, seek the prosperity of the city into which I have sent you. And I want to think about like the practical ways that could be. What can the church do in the midst of all these emerging crises that does not go away with just one or two simple prayers, but really deep, profound staying in the lament? What do y'all think? What are some of the places the church can stay in the place of lament and respond even though we're in exile? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is something that wise people told me, which is you have two ears and one mouth. And so listen yeah. twice as much as you speak. Mm -hmm. And just, mm -hmm. it's amazing how powerful it is when you meet someone that isn't of the same views politically, or someone who has a different ethnic background and different yes. pressures that they've experienced. And by getting to know their story, how it changes the way that I view them and what they're dealing with. And so listening twice as much as I speak, I think is at least a good place to start. I love that, Daniel. And I think about First Peter, don't be surprised at the painful trial <laughs> you're enduring as yes. though something strange were happening. You know, and that echoes back to your statement of stay in the lament. You know, I think we need to expect the suffering, expect the difficult times and continue to trust in it. But in that, my own response in some of the things you're alluding to is to agree to disagree with great grace and understanding mm -hmm. and um, not the fake kind of whatever tolerance, mm -hmm. just a mm -hmm. real genuine embrace of persons in our communities are not all the same people. Yes. We're very diverse and to, to really respect that God's image is in each of us. And if I could just add to that real quickly, I would just say, look for places to serve in the midst of that. Yeah. And there are always going to be people who need help. Mm -hmm. And if there's a place where we can take the servant's place, that perhaps can have an impact in ways that talking never will. Yes. Yes. And it's one of the things I love about this passage in Jeremiah 29. There are concrete things that God's people are called to do, even in the midst of exile. That's good. It's not extremely out of the ordinary. It's just live your life as God's people. It just happens to be in the midst of those that are suffering in the world. And Jeremiah 29 gives us a possibility of what God's people can do, even if it's simple as seeking the shalom and well-being of those around us even if we disagree with them, even if we identify them as Babylon, what does it mean for God's people to truly embody the shalom and righteousness and justice of God in a world that is broken? Mm -hmm.
it is a challenge to respond biblically and as a follower of Jesus rather than culturally. It's not a simple task. It takes a lot of thought and reflection, doesn't it? Well, you're at the Discover the Word table with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and our special guest for this episode, Dr. Sung Chan Ra. And our series titled Lament, The Church in Crisis continues after this quick break. Another great way to learn more about this topic of lament is by reading a book by Dr. Ra titled Prophetic Lament, A Call for Justice in Troubled Times. This commentary on the Book of Lamentations and its historical context also focuses on current events, helping us understand how lament is an important part of our historic Christian faith, as well as our modern faith as well. I sometimes wonder if our arrogance, our kind of sense of exceptionalism, triumphalism in American Christianity turns off a lot of unbelievers. You know, we want to be seen as those with all the answers. But maybe sometimes the world wants to see us in our brokenness, in our lament, to say, look, we're not better than you. We're fallen human beings like all of humanity. We just have been given hope by our Maker. Yeah, you can order a copy of Prophetic Lament by Dr. Sung Chan Ra when you visit our website at discovertheword.org. And now back to this episode of the Discover the Word podcast about lament with our guest, Dr. Sung Chan Ra. As we've been talking about lament and talking about uh, the appropriate response to suffering in the world, I want to remind us that there is still hope in the midst of lament. I think some of the, Hmm. maybe the caricature of lament is that we just kind of stay in pain for as long as possible. But I want to point to maybe a different type of hope. I think for us, hope is everything's going to go back to the way things were, or Hmm. everything's going to be what we want them to be. But actually, hope in the Bible doesn't always turn out that way. Like um, the story of Jesus is the story of an unexpected and a surprising hope. The nation of Israel, the people of God, were expecting a certain type of Messiah. And here comes Jesus, who operates in a very different modality than maybe they were expecting. And so I want to talk about hope, but maybe in a different way. So maybe we can take a look at two passages that teach us about the authorship of both Jeremiah and Lamentations, about the author, and then how we might find hope in who is writing the book of Jeremiah and who is writing the book of Lamentations. So we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1, and two passages in Jeremiah chapter 20. So uh, each of you can pick up one of those passages. I'll take Jeremiah 9, 1, because it's the shortest. (laughs) And just looking at the verse real quickly, it gives you a hint as to why Jeremiah is sometimes referred to as the weeping prophet, right? That's right. Okay, so Jeremiah 9, verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, (laughs) that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Gosh, I would call that the sobbing, heaving prophet. That's, right. that's, that's, right. that's a lot of tears. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So the two verses we're going to look at from Jeremiah 20 is verse 7 and verse uh, 14 and following. Okay. So here's Jeremiah 20, verse 7. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Wow. And then picking up with verse 14 and 15, Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, saying, A child is born to you, a son, making him very glad. 
Wow. Okay, so you're telling me that there's hope in there somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that crazy? That sounds like the worst scenario imaginable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I don't know if I told you all this, but I was a church planter back in the day. (laughs) And I planted a church in the middle of uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, which some of you may know is where Harvard and MIT are. In fact, our church was right in the middle of these two schools. And I remember starting this church, and the very first full sermon series that I gave was actually on the Book of Lamentations. What is wrong with you? I know, right? (laughs) I've taught church planning, and I would never give that advice to any of those students who wanted to plant a church. But here was my rationale. My rationale was I had these incredibly brilliant students and alumni of these institutions. They got into Harvard and MIT because they were the big fish in the little pond. They had never failed at anything. Perfect scores in SATs, perfect GPAs, class presidents. They had never failed at anything. And our church was trying to do urban ministry in the context of great uh, pain and suffering. And so a group of students who had never failed at anything were encountering a lot of pain and suffering in the world. And so they needed to be introduced to lament Mm. and pain and suffering. Mm. And that to me is maybe the possibility of hope here, Mm. that the person that's teaching us about pain and suffering is someone who has been through it, Mm. who's lived through it, who's experienced Mm. it. Mm. And I love the example of Jeremiah because Jeremiah is not a person unfamiliar with our suffering. I don't know, think about those places where you were really encouraged by someone who shared their suffering with you. First of all, I just kind of want to know, after you finished Lamentations, did you follow that up with a nice stroll through Job? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We'll keep that theme going for the rest of the church plan, just kind of misery after misery, right? I actually go to Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, where he talks about, you know, blessed be God, you know, who comforts us with his comfort so that we can comfort others. And it's very counterintuitive. We think that those suffering moments in our lives are all caused by our disobedience, our wrongness, our awfulness, and we just need to repent, and then God's going to bring prosperity. When in reality, we are broken people in a broken world, and while, you know, everything isn't ash, a lot of it is, (laughs) and the comfort that we receive in those times is a comfort we need to really receive, as you've been talking about, and and lament, so that we can be dispensers of that comfort to others. I think for me, what really jumps out are those moments where I meet somebody who's in the midst of suffering still, but they're at peace. Mm. Yes. Mm. And it's a peace that doesn't make any sense based on what they're experiencing. That's good, Daniel. And this is exactly the example of Jeremiah, which is personally, he's my favorite prophet. Mm. I don't know if y'all have heard the story of um, a non-believer who goes to a cathedral in Europe and uh, there's all these stained glass of the great prophets And this person is completely unmoved by all of those stained glass of Isaiah and of Jonah. But the one that moves him is the stained glass of Jeremiah, because it's Jeremiah on a tree stump, head buried in his hands, just weeping for the lost. Hmm. Hmm. I sometimes wonder if our arrogance, our kind of sense of exceptionalism, triumphalism in American Christianity turns off a lot of unbelievers. You know, we want to be seen as those with all the answers. But maybe sometimes the world wants to see us in our brokenness, in our lament, to say, look, we're not better than you. We're fallen human beings like all of humanity. We just have been given hope by our maker. Mm -hmm. In the midst of the truth of our pain, there is the truth of God's grace. And Jeremiah is a beautiful example of that. Mm. Dr. Ra, isn't there room for both? I mean, Mm. yes, we want them to see us as broken people who 
face the same kinds of problems that they face. Yes. There's nothing new under the sun. All of us are made out of dust, and we want them to see that. But don't we also want them to see that there's joy and yes. all of that? So, I mean, if all they see in us is, well, they've got the same mess I have, why should I want to be a Christian? <laughs> it's a right. very good point. And that's where Jeremiah is so real, because he does go through the whole range. Right. So he's not someone who comes in. Everything's awesome. Everything is cool. Uh, He comes in. I'm broken. Look at the pain I've lived through. Um, I'm even lamenting the day that I was born, which is pretty extreme, as we saw in Mm -hmm. this passage. But he does offer hope. And I connect to someone who not only offers hope, but comes out of a place where he or she has been already in pain as well. So it's that both and equation that we want to get to the triumphant praise and celebration that's a part of the biblical account but we tend to ignore this first half of it Mm. and to me the amplification of joy and triumph is the reality acknowledgement of the reality of the pain and suffering that makes my joy and triumph and hope all the more sweet because i know where i'm coming from and that is the example of jeremiah that we see right here that makes sense i feel like i've felt that so personally in the situation i mentioned with my nephew yeah because you know i work for our daily bread i'm on radio shows i write the things that people are supposed to read when they're going through bad things and yeah. during that weekend none of those were helpful to me yeah you know i had right answers for what it was supposed to be like i had right answers for the brokenness in the world at least theologically but they didn't feel like right answers in the moment. It felt like a cheap version of Christianity to act like, well, this little saying will help you feel better. No, there's no feeling better right now. Mm-mm. Like it, it's time to just focus on what really is wrong. And there's actually a lot of freedom in living our faith that way. And I think that's one thing that many in younger, younger, younger generations value, we're told, is authenticity. You know, could you just keep it real? So to go ahead ourselves and and not try to cover up the pain we're in, but in that pain, begin to discover, what am I holding on to here? Honestly, not only do we have a better return, (laughs) but we're showing a more honest gospel to others. Yes. And I think that there's something in that that my generation struggles with, because I think you're right, Elisa. Um, I'm kind of the old guy here today. <laughs> but I do think that Daniel's generation is more open to being candid about their mm. brokenness. Whereas when I was coming up in a very legalistic environment, it was all about looking like everything was under control, no matter how crazy it was. And I think you're exactly right, Dr. Ra. I think that people want to see the genuineness. They don't want to see this facade. They want to see reality. And quite frankly, my generation for a long time wasn't giving them much of that. Yeah. And I just so appreciate Jeremiah's humility. Here Mm -hmm. he is, a priest, a prophet, uh, a leader, and yet he is able to show his human side. And I really appreciate it. I think that's a model for us right now. Another aspect of Jeremiah's authorship in the book of Jeremiah, we, we read some of the passages there, but there's something really interesting about the book of Lamentations. Now, historically, Jeremiah has been given credit for the authorship of Lamentations. And the main reason is that we know historically he was probably maybe one of the few literate who was left behind. And we know Lamentations is a literate work. So he might have been the only one that could have written down the word 
words. But the problem is that when you compare the writing style of Jeremiah to the writing style of Lamentations, they look like two completely different books. Hmm. It's like rap music and classical play writing. You know, it's just okay. it just doesn't feel like it's the same author. So one of the theories is that it's Jeremiah who wrote down the words, mainly because he's the only person who probably could have written down the words. But one notice in the writing of the Book of Lamentations is that it's not in his voice, even though he's writing down the words. It's actually the voice of the widows, the orphans, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and the sick, hmm. those who are left behind in Jerusalem. So it's beautiful about the Book of Lamentations, even though Jeremiah is the privileged, educated, pedigreed prophet, he actually shuts his mouth mm. and mm. raises up the voices of women and children mm. and those who have been marginalized. Mm. This is another part of Jeremiah's humility, that he doesn't feel the need to be the expert here in the midst of all this pain, but instead he raises up the voices of those that are suffering. I would love to see the church do that more, yeah. where sometimes the person that's the expert, uh, well, we might not need to speak, but we want to raise up the voices of those who have suffered and who are experiencing this tremendous pain. And that's what lament opens the door for us to do. As we go deeper into the book of Lamentations, uh, again, not necessarily a well-known book of the Bible, but a very <laughs> important one, I think, uh, mainly because of its absence in our typical reading and studying of Scripture. What I want to talk about today, and I would love to have this conversation, is actually an expression in the book of Lamentations throughout, but really noticeable in chapter 3, of how the form of lament is very specific, and how it teaches us about the ongoing work of lament, particularly in the church. So I don't know, maybe we can start in the scriptures with yeah. looking at Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Yeah, I can start. This is Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1. I am one who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. Again, we're still kind of talking about the rather depressive topic mm -hmm. of lament in the book of Lamentations. Now, Lamentations is written in what's called an acrostic formula. And you all probably are familiar with how that's used, which is A is for apple, B is for butter, hmm. C is for chips. You know, you just kind of go through the <laughs> alphabet. You're making me hungry. <laughs> I'm going on a trip and I'm going to bring... And then a is for <laughs> yeah, Apple. Right. right. Now we do this with kids, right? To try mm -hmm. to remember certain ways and even the way mm -hmm. things are pronounced, we use this acrostic formula going through. It's a memory device. It's yeah. an easy way to remember certain things. So that's what's being used here in uh, all five chapters of the book of Lamentations, with one exception, which we'll talk about. But chapter three is actually an intensification of the acrostic formula. So in chapter one, you get three verses that begin with the letter A. And then the second verse begins with the letter B. Now, this is the Hebrew equivalent, of course. And then you go through 22 verses, 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. But by chapter 3, you get three verses. All three verses begins with the letter A. So each of you, what you read, are three verses that begin with the Hebrew letter Aleph, A, A, A. And then the next three verses, 4, 5, and 6, would be Beit, 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 which would be the Hebrew equivalent of B. And then you just kind of go through the whole alphabet. So there's an intentionality of this acrostic formula in chapter 3. But let's discuss the implication of what is an acrostic formula. As we said, it's a good memory device. Yeah. It helps the people of God remember these very difficult circumstances. So you use an 
acrostic to remember it. Mm. But there's another reason for this. Acrostics are boundaries. We don't know how to deal with pain and trauma in the world. We don't know what it feels like to actually take on some of the pain and trauma because it hurts so much. And so if all of that pain were to come flowing out, in some cases, it would know no boundaries, right? Mm. It would just come flooding out in ways that would just overwhelm every one of us. Can you all think of those kind of spaces in the church and maybe even personally where if we were to start talking, all that pain would flood out and maybe just kind of hemorrhaging pain all over the place. And Mm. I know that there's stories in my life and others as well that I've seen this happen. I think that can happen in small groups where um, people gather for a purpose, and that's to study the scriptures in community. But sometimes you never really get to the scriptures because there's so much heartache and struggle going on that it just kind of takes over. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a good example. I actually remember after writing the first draft of a a memoir of my life, um, I remember sending it to one of the readers who said, gosh, this is just a a torturous vomit of pain and suffering. And I went, (laughs) well, thank you. And I said, well, guess what? That's my life. (laughs) But, you know, there's a reality that if we only stay in that, we may not look for God's faithfulness in it or at something that's been redeemed from it. You know, it's necessary. We've been talking about that in our last conversations. We get up too quickly and yeah. move on to the formulaic answers, and, and God's inviting us to stay in it. But it's not comfortable, and it is torturous. Yeah. Another way that I think lament shows up, especially experiencing brokenness, is sometimes in anger. And anger begins to like see no boundary. And maybe we're with people that share whatever that passion is about a certain brokenness that we see in the world. And it almost is like we're feeding off one another and getting more and more angry as we think about how broken this thing really is, which is kind of another aspect of of that lament. That's right. I wonder, Dr. Ra, in your experience, if... The liturgical church, where there are mm-hmm. boundaries through the liturgy and the, the common book of prayer and different things like yeah. that, if that creates a better framework for lament than in a more free church environment, which is more my background. Well, I'm kind of in an in-between space in my personal life, Baptist Pentecostal church. That sounds crazy, but that's the <laughs> that's my context of a Baptist Pentecostal church. You want to talk about free church, Baptist yeah. Pentecostal, that's the space we <laughs> occupy. But in more recent years, I've been in the Covenant Church, which is a little more liturgical. And in a seminary context, uh, we've done a lot of stuff around liturgy and some of the kind of the traditional expressions of worship. And I'm finding the both and is so helpful for me. That's why I go back to this acrostic idea Mm -hmm. that the church in its worship space is really the living acrostic that helps the world and the people of the church experience and express grief in ways that are helpful rather than harmful. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for many of us who read some of Henry Nouwen's work about uh, the wounded healer, one of my professors taught me that, yes, we're wounded healers, but it doesn't give us permission to bleed all over the place all the time. Yeah. So what the church does is actually creates that safe space where we are allowed to feel pain. It also provides the acrostic space mm. where the the leadership, the pastors, the community 
comes around us in such a way that it provides some healthy boundaries as well. Uh, there are experiences that folks have had. I'll share one of my for me personally. I lost my mom this past summer and she died. Um, mm-hmm. Thankfully, we were able to be by her bedside when she passed. But there was just this indescribable grief. I mean, yeah. those of you who've lost parents or loved ones know what that's like. And it was coming out in all these different directions because there was so much pain. And what I really needed was a Christian community. One, my family, my sisters and I were grieving together. So that was the acrostic mm-hmm. space of healing. But I also reached out to some dear friends of mine, mm-hmm. found a spiritual director, a therapist, reached out to my pastor, reached out to my supervisor here at the seminary, who's my dean. And they all came around and provided that acrostic space where I could find healing. And I think that's where the church can be, a place of lament that is also a safe space mm-hmm. for that pain to be expressed. I don't know if any of you have had that kind of experience of that acrostic space. It was very similar. I think I mentioned in an earlier conversation that my mom died back in the fall. And because of COVID regulations, we weren't able to get together as a family. And so there's this postponed grieving that happened. And so it was this very odd, strange thing. And it was 135 days after she died before we could come together as a family and have some kind of a memorial. And it was only then that we really kind of got any closure. But to your point and to your question, Dr. Ra, is really the Discover the Word team as we would get mm. together to record remotely and we would talk about what was going on in our lives that gave me some kind of an environment in Amen. which I could really unpack some of that stuff because without church and even being separated in family, there just wasn't any place else. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. One of the examples that comes to mind for me is uh, through an ancient prayer practice of, I guess it's kind of a combination of Lectio Divina and just meditation um, on scripture, Mm. but realizing that after 15, 17, 20 years since my grandma passed away, I had this experience in reading uh, the story of Lazarus and just where I was invited to grieve and it came out of nowhere and I found myself crying on the floor grieving my grandma decades after her death. It was the acrostic or the space of the scriptures that provided that for me. I'm hearing a real intentionality too, which Dr. Rob maybe is also that space. A lot of times we move through grief, we lament, we do it very appropriately, we don't rush it, Mm -hmm. but years can go by. And we're helped when we look at death dates as well as birth dates, you know, to pause and remember the loss. Um, I have a little grandson who passed from womb right into heaven, Mm. and his name is Malachi. And I think about him often on his birth date, death date. It was a, a sacred passing where I got to be with his little body after he had been moved on into heaven. And it was a sacred watching vigil, if you will. And those times where we intentionally pause, you know, at lament, whatever it is, as we pause in those and intentionally look and feel. Yes. And I think what I'm feeling for the church right now is that this is our great hope and possibility because so many people are hurting. The trauma of COVID, the Mm -hmm. trauma of racial injustice, uh, the trauma of a divided nation and a divided world, where do they turn to? And 
as I stated, the church is the living acrostic in a place of confusion and pain. And if the church is glossing over the pain of the world, then we're not the living acrostic. We're not providing that space for that healing Mm -hmm. to occur. I've been really blessed by the church in this way, a place where my healing can happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering at this particular moment, maybe there is the hopefulness that we can share of, Mm -hmm. this is what the church can do. This is the possibility of the church to be that living presence where grief can be expressed. Many in our audience probably are familiar with the name Michael Card. Mike has done a lot of work in the area of lament. And um, he wrote a song that's actually a prayer that I think would be so valuable for those of us who maybe don't spend enough time intentionally trying to embrace lament. But his song was called The Tears of the World, and the chorus says, So open my eyes and open my heart, and grant me the gift of your grieving, and awaken in me the compassion to weep, just one of the tears of the world. And I think there's a willingness there to engage pain and brokenness. Mm. And I think unless we start there, we don't have a whole lot to offer. Wow. I'm not saying we can fix all the problems of the world. I'm saying that there are places though we can be the living embodiment of God's peace and God's presence. We can't run away and hide from it. We actually can be the ones who live in the midst of that and demonstrate, yeah, there's a place where that pain can be expressed, but it is also finding healing in that community. And I'm so thankful for the stories here because it reminds us of this is what the kingdom of God is. The church can be a place of healing. Yeah, the church should be a place where we feel free to express lament so that in that community we can find a place of healing. We will wrap up this conversation with Dr. Soong Chan Ra about lament in just a moment. But first, let's take a 60-second break to look ahead to what we'll be talking about in our next podcast. A special Christmas conversation is coming up in the next Discover the Word podcast. At Christmas, do you ever feel like every year your expectations of the season exceed the reality of what you get? And when Christmas is over, the presents are opened, the family gatherings are done, the decorations start to come down, you find yourself a little disappointed. Your expectations weren't all met again. Well, next week, we're going to look at a part of the Christmas story and uh, one character in particular who, for him, his expectations that first Christmas were blown away by a promise that was actually kept. A Christmas promise. Simeon's story may give you some perspective this Christmas that you need. Be part of the group for that special Christmas conversation in the next Discover the Word podcast. And now the conclusion of this insightful conversation with Dr. Soong Chan Ra about Lament, the Church in Crisis. So Elisa and Bill, mm. we've had Dr. Ra with us, and he's someone that I had met before, and I was excited to introduce you to, and uh, I hope that it's been as fun for you as it has been for me to have mm. him on. Yeah, thank you for this, Daniel. It's been um, it's been really fun. That's uh, weird to say <laughs> it's been fun talking about lament, yeah. but it's been eye-opening, and um, actually in a weird way, comforting, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree, and maybe the biggest thing for our listeners 
is just to know that they're being given permission to lament. Mm -hmm. Because in my generation, it almost wasn't okay to lament because you're supposed to be good all the time. And and this kind of gives us permission to lament. And and it's been very, uh, very nice to have your presence at the table with us. Thank you. Yeah, where do you want to end our time with you? We've been walking through the Book of Lamentations, so I think it's appropriate to close with the final chapter in Lamentations chapter 5. Thank you all for staying with us. Um, it's not easy. This topic is not easy. Lament is something we want to do and get over and, and get off our plate as soon as possible. So thank you for staying with the topic because lament and pain doesn't go away that quickly. Mm. And so our willingness to stay in the lament is an important part of the lessons as well. So we are going to close with Lamentations chapter 5. There are some interesting things the prophet closes with that allows us to actually engage in some hopefulness as we've been saying, where's the hope? Well, Lamentations 5 actually gives us some of that hope. So let's read the first nine verses, and maybe each can read about three verses each out of chapter 5. Yeah, that sounds good. I can start. Uh, so Lamentations 5, verse 1, Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to aliens. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must buy the water that we drink. Our wood can only be had at a price. Those who pursue us are at our heels, and we are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Verse 7, our fathers sinned and are no more. It is we who have borne their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There's no one to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Hmm. Now, Lamentations 5, again, we're not at the place where things are happy-go-lucky again. Things are not back to where exactly where they're supposed to be. But there is going to be hope in here, right? <laughs> there is going to be hope. But here's the tricky part of this. We talked in last time on, on Lamentations 3. What you saw was uh, this moving upwards from chapter 1, chapter 2, and the height of the passage is the middle, chapter 3. Which we didn't read. Which you didn't <laughs> we read. We didn't read the happy verse, We didn't verse, read the happy right? verse, which is okay, in the middle okay. of chapter 3. And then okay. it goes down to chapter 5. And it, it's a recapitulation of what we saw in chapter one and chapter two. So it's kind of moving towards this apex of this kind of hopefulness, but then it actually moves back down. And that's why chapter five, as you just read, was actually not the hope for, hey, everything's going to be okay again. Because that structure is not your typical structure of bad things are happening God intervenes and everything's going to be okay again because the intervention of God is going to happen. That does happen in history. We know that Israel does get restored back to Jerusalem, but it's not necessarily what we typically think of what restoration is going to look like. Hmm. We see later in Micah and Haggai that, uh, in particular in the book of Haggai, that the restoration feels like worse than what they used to have before the exile. Yeah. So Lamentations 5 doesn't end on what we would call a happy note. But I want to point out the hope in Lamentations 5 here. One is that chapter 5 is the most typical lament genre of any of the five books of the book of Lamentations. So I mentioned that Lamentations has a lot of different genres. It includes the acrostic formula. It's actually an individual lament, a corporate lament. It actually is a city lament. 
But chapter five is the most standard, typical lament. So the pattern you see in chapter five is a typical pattern you see, you know, in all over the the Psalms, you'll see that pattern. And you'll see that it begins with remember, and that's the Mm -hmm. crying out to God. So this is actually very hopeful because chapter five, the prophet's voice, Jeremiah's voice completely disappears. Not that he's not writing things down. He is. He's definitely writing down the words, but his interjection and his commentary is gone. And in chapter five, the people speak for themselves without any interruption whatsoever. Hmm. That is very powerful Hmm. because what we have seen is they've always needed a mediator to get to God, a priest, a prophet, a king. And now in chapter five of Lamentations, it's a direct address by the people of God, those who have suffered the most directly speaking to God. And this is one of the most hopeful moments in the scripture for me, Mm. because this is when God's people are now allowed to speak for themselves directly to God. Mm -hmm. And I want us to think about that powerful moment and say, where are the places where God's people can directly speak their pain to God? And we've seen it more now in the 20th and 21st century, but that wasn't always the case, where we've had to go through intermediaries. Mm -hmm. And what is the incredible blessing of now being able to speak directly to God as we see in Mm -hmm. in Lamentations chapter 5? You're taking me straight to the book of Hebrews Mm -hmm. and how the, the curtain and the temple has been torn and we have access ourselves. Uh, The backstage pass, we've called it in some conversations, that that we have complete total access to God ourselves. And this is a beautiful foreshadowing and actual reality of that. Amen. Amen. Yeah, theologically, I mean, we're looking at things that don't feel as theological as they do painful. (laughs) Yes, yes. But uh, theologically... That access, Elise, is so great that we're already seated in the heavenlies in Christ. Mm. We're right there in his presence through Christ. Yes. Yes. And actually, let's pick up on that theme a little bit. How did that happen? How did that access occur? What is the moment in Scripture where the access that had once been limited has now been opened up? When Jesus dies on the cross, what happens in the temple? The temple veil is ripped apart, and the place that had only been reserved for the priests, actually, now there is access for us as God's people into that space. Mm -hmm. So what's beautiful about Lamentations 5 is that it foreshadows what Christ is going to do. Mm. We are able to get to the throne of grace. We're able to get directly into the Holy of Holies because Christ died on the cross and tore that temple veil. And Lamentations 5 is a foreshadowing of that incredible possibility that God's people can now go directly to the throne of Mm. grace. Yeah, and the Holy Spirit comes down to us. Yes, And so there's Mm. not only the, like, we being brought up even if it's just our voices, right, being brought up into the throne room, into God's presence, but him sending the Holy Spirit to walk through suffering with us, to hear us, to feel with us, to be with us as we go through some of those dark things in the world as well, a God who's with us. You know, Dr. Rob, when we finished reading those verses, I was skeptical that you were going to give me any place where I could (laughs) land with hope in this, but you've convinced me, you've won me over. It's definitely in there. 
a question too that I'd like to throw out. So you were mentioning like the shape of uh, lamentation. So we go yes. up to hope and then kind of come back down into suffering. Is part of that also that the book of Lamentations is modeling for us the fact that we're going to end up back in suffering again? Right. Like there are moments mm. of hope in our lives yes. where we like f everything feels like it's going well or God has answered a prayer. But then very quickly we find ourselves in another situation of crisis or in yes. another situation where mm. we need hope again. Yes. And this is also in the Psalms, right? Because yeah. one lament doesn't end at all. Right? Sure. There's sure. another lament that comes along. And that's why we have to look at the whole scope and canon of scripture that says lament does come up over and over again. And just because you've lamented doesn't mean everything is back to the way you want things to be. So even though they've lamented and they are being promised the hope, the reality is that they're still in exile. Mm -hmm. The reality is that they, you know, they've lost their promised land and home and their, their temple is no more. All of these are still realities that hasn't necessarily changed and you still have to deal with that reality. And sometimes we forget that that's part of our earthly reality, that mm -hmm. that pain and suffering doesn't go away that quickly. Suffering is a reality and yeah. we have to deal with that reality. We can't brush it under the rug, but it doesn't mean we can't have hope because God promises that hope as well. Yeah. And the other thing I'm thinking too, is the fact that when it comes to situations of trauma, yeah, even after everything has, and I put air quotes up, but like gone back to normal or we're out yeah. of the traumatic situation, mm -hmm. that trauma sticks with people for a long time That's afterwards, true. sticks with us. And so lamenting the fact that we see the world differently in a negative way after trauma might be years after the experience. Yes. But that invitation to lament is an invitation to revisit and to rework through. And whether it's with a professional or, as you said, with a pastor or with someone, that's right. to be able to work through some of that trauma again later, too. And that's the forward trajectory of lament. Lament doesn't keep us in one space, but it does allow us to say lament leads us and takes us steps forward. I do want to talk about how Lamentations 5 is one of those steps forward, that even in the midst of our suffering, hearing from the world and hearing from the pain that is in the world and hearing from others who are in pain might be a part of our healing. Mm. I mentioned that I've uh, taught a course at Stateville Correctional Center, which is a maximum security prison outside of Chicago. And um, when I went into that class, I needed to assert my authority and power in that class. Why? I'm a short Asian guy. I'm five foot seven. And everybody in the class towers over me. They're taller, larger, more athletic. And I'm a little bit intimidated. So I went into that class trying to assert my authority to say, hey, I'm the guy with all the degrees. I'm the tenured professor. And that didn't last very long because I was going through some challenges in my life, my personal life. And there were so many things that were difficult. And it was at that moment, as I began to hear the stories and receive the grace from my students, prisoners mm. who were in jail for 40 years, 50 years. It's unbelievable the stories of heartache that they've experienced as prisoners. And they reached out in grace towards me. One of my students, he's about six foot four, 200 pounds, comes over and just gives me a hug and says, I'm going to get in trouble for this because I'm not allowed to do this, but you really need this right now, and just embraced mm. me. And it was no longer the Ivy League educated professor and a, you know, uh, someone in prison for the next 30 years of his life. It was two people made in the image of God. Mm. And as I heard his story and learned from his person and who he is made in the image of God, that was healing. 
That's the kind of healing space that was created. And Lamentations 5 gives us that picture of what it means to listen to those who are in pain, listen to those who are suffering, and to find our story and our healing in the midst of that pain and suffering. Lamentations is hopeful. It's challenging, but it's also very, very hopeful. And that is a great conclusion to these conversations called Lament, the Church in Crisis. Thank you, Dr. Ra, for leading us in this really helpful and thoughtful discussion. I think we've all been challenged to reconsider lament, uh, giving ourselves permission to lament, and also learning new ways to listen to those who are suffering and in pain so that we can help them find hope and healing. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. We encourage you to explore other studies with the group on our discovertheword.org website. And at the beginning of this episode, we mentioned Haddon Robinson. Well, there are a lot of classic studies of when Haddon and Alice Matthews and Mark DeHaan were the Discover the Word group. They're on our website. Check out that classic archived material there at discovertheword.org as well. Now, our mission and all we do here at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries is to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. And if you'd like to come alongside and partner with us in this ministry, we would invite you to lend your financial support. Simply go online to discovertheword.org and click the Donate button. You'll see some options and you can give right there. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.